Hey, this is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. Hello, uh, I am excited uh, for this podcast to talk about a topic that you don't hear discussed a lot in the technology circles, uh, especially on podcasts, which is uh, the crossover of uh, digital, digital transformation and the environment. And I don't just mean the impact of data centers on the environment. Uh, I just mean, what is the full sweep of what technology could do to potentially help us uh, do a better job of being better uh, global citizens when it comes to the environment. Now, you know I like to open up with a story. Uh, this story, well known in our family, but uh, my mother is 82 years old. My mother is a strong believer in, in the outdoors, in uh, being um, light on the environment. In other words, not having a huge impact on the environment. And my mother always taught us, since I was a kid, that there are three kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of person who throws the trash out. They throw it out, they don't care about the environment. There are the kinds of people who drive by it, they don't like it, but they would never pick it up. And then there are the few people that will go around and pick up trash for everybody else because they care that much. And so she has always taught us that this is a bell curve. There's just a minority of people who will throw trash out their window there's a vast majority that will drive by it, but would never pick it up. And then there's a small minority that will pick it up. And you can imagine being raised by my mother, what I am. I am somebody that to this day walks around our edition and picks up the trash. And I'm the HOA president. And people will often stop me and say, well, what are you doing? When I have my black bag and I'm walking around picking up trash. I run in a hoodie and I use the pouch to pick take back home every when I run, uh, you know, around the lake or our house. Now, to tell you, first of all, I and my family care about the Also want to tell you that there are just, you know, a minority of people who really wake up every day and, and think about the impact that humanity is having on the environment. And, and we think about the fact that, you know, whether you want to argue for global warming or not, you cannot argue against the way that we pollute water or the way that we pollute the air. You cannot argue that these things are happening. And just like I told you with the three different people in the trash, there's three different kinds of people with the environment. There's those who wake up every day and they pollute it and they could care less. There are a vast majority that wish the environment was cleaner, but they don't do anything about it. And then there's a few people who actually care. So today on the podcast, I have a guest. And I have a guest who is one of those who cares. And uh, Lucy Dowley uh, is not from the United States. She actually lives in uh, England. And you will notice that right off when you hear her voice. And so, Lucy, first of all, thank you for being here. Would you give a, a quick introduction of who you are just so they know you? before uh, we dive in and I start peppering you with big, big questions. I will, thank you. Uh, yes, thanks, Scott. So um, yes, I'm Lucy Dowley, all the way from um, 
rainy Britain. Um, so I am um, a strategist for one of the biggest water companies um, in the United U U Kingdom. I work for United Utilities in the northwest of England, and I'm a strategist. Uh, one of my, it, it's absolutely my favourite job I've ever done. I've done a plethora of jobs of my career, and this is hands down my favourite. My, my job is to pretty much ask questions like, what if? Um, why? How will that play out? What on earth will go on there? If we do this, what is the impact of that? My, my brain naturally makes connections. Um, and I think I spend most of my day trying to make a connection between this piece of technology and all that fabulousness that brings and how on earth can I make best use of that to do what we need to do as a business and really improve our impact on the environment, deliver the services we deliver. Um, and I guess optimizing that and designing that so we're not having unintended consequences is probably what I spend a lot of my time doing. Um, but yeah, so I look at the future, I see what the future needs to do, and I try and bring together scientists, economists, technologists, environmentalists, try and, I suppose I'm a bit of a translator. Can we get a common language for all those folks to come together and, and try and do things for the greater good a bit better than maybe we we're doing them yesterday? And that's a bit of me. All right, that's awesome. And uh, before we start, I even want to give you credit for the fact that we're or that I'm even doing this podcast because it was you who asked me one day when we were together, uh, "Hey, have you thought about doing a podcast on technology and the environment?" And so uh, I just want to make sure that uh, for those of you who love this, uh, this was Lucy's idea. Uh, she brought it up. I love it. If for some reason you don't like this, it's Lucy's idea. All right. Let's be, let's be clear. Uh, but I have a feeling that, that uh, most of you will like it. Uh, Lucy, let's get right into the questions. Uh, as you know, this is the Digital Optimist podcast. And so generally, uh, I'm an optimist about what technology is going to do for the world. But I do want to, to make sure that you have permission. We also talk about what is negative. And so it's okay to, to have a little bit of a balanced approach today on, you know, what does technology do that's not good for the environment? And then what does it do that is good? You know, we don't have to focus just on the positive outcomes. Now, with that said, my first question to you is, you know, other than human beings caring more about the impact on the environment, because to me, that's the number one problem is, you know, again, that bell curve I told you about, we have a huge amount of human beings who really, really do not care that much about the environment. You know, they don't care about changing anything in their lives to have a better impact. So other than, than just human beings caring more, do you believe that the digital transformation, and I don't mean just what we have today, I mean, over the next 30 years, what we got the last 20 years, what we'll get the next 30 years. Do you believe that that may be our biggest hope for reversing, you know, some of the environmental damage we are doing, you know, or, you know, do you believe there's something else out there besides the digital transformation that, that is really going to move the needle? Thank you. Okay, so you start me with me with a with a hard one, um, but I think it's a fascinating question. I don't think there's a yes or no. Um, I don't necessarily think digital transformation is the biggest hope. Um, I don't think there's a silver bullet. What I do believe is that I think tech um, and digital tech presents a significant opportunity um, for us to do something big um, and to really make a difference, uh, both in the reversal of environmental damage, but more, more in the short term, simply slow it down. 
Um, I think digital tech is going to be probably the facilitator of all of that. Um, I think fundamentally it will be human action that makes a change. Um, but I think what digital tech will do will provoke that human action. Um, we've got more data than we've ever had before. Um, we are data rich. Um, the data we do have is a lot better. Um, and tech is allowing us through simulations and through modeling to give us insight we've never had before in how we behave, our investments, our actions, both as individuals and as corporates and as governments, and what we're doing, what impact is that having on, on the environment? And I think that's the first place to start. Um, and those big simulations, big models, that big computing power and that big data is a massive opportunity to just show us what those impacts are having. And I think that impact is probably broader than just the environment. It'll start to show us what impacts we're having socially um, and be able to demonstrate it at scale. And I think until we can really, really see how very specifically what we're doing is, is, and the impact that's having, we're not going to be able to make more better decisions. So machine learning is going to play in, AI is going to play in, and we're going to need that digital tech to give us that ability to make much more sensible decisions that will ultimately have an impact on the environment. Um, I think what tech does really well, which is another opportunity, is bringing disparate people together. So I started at the beginning by saying one of my jobs is to bring lots of different people together. What tech is allowing me to do, more so than it ever has before, is speak in that common language. Um, environmentalists, capitalists and socialists don't typically speak the same speak. But what tech is allowing us to do is have the data and insight to be able to have much more understanding from each of those, um, those groups and be able to understand where the trade-offs might need to happen and how are we delivering that social, that natural value, as well as the financial value that we typically understand. Um, so I think whilst tech explicitly might not be the golden uh, silver bullet that will fix it, I think it is absolutely um, the facilitator of, of any change that we need and we will see. Uh, well, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, my, my viewpoint is technology, it, it has a growing toolbox and the toolbox is pretty fantastic. You, you mentioned a few of them and we're going to come back to it because I, I, I want to talk to you for a little bit about specifically, you know, which technologies and how they will weave together into a mesh. Uh, you know, how that might help us. And so we'll come back to, you know, going over the specific technologies. Uh, and, and just just so you know, there will be no easy questions, Lucy. I, I, I didn't I didn't invite you to have easy questions. All right. So, so oh, you've never you've never asked me an easy question and I would never want you to. So keep nah, them coming. No. Nah. All right. Number two, uh, if if technology improvements uh, versus environmental degradation, we're in a race, okay? In other words, if we, if we were charting with a line chart, how fast the environment is being impacted negatively, and then, you know, we were also charting how much technology is helping, uh, which one is winning? 
right? Because I'm a data person. You, you said data and, you know, I think and see the world, I think sometimes in data and analytics. And, you know, so one of the important things for me is the trend, the trend on environmental degradation has not been good. Uh, you know, so what I'm trying to look at is what is the ability of technology to improve and to improve that situation versus the degradation and which one today would be winning, right? Uh, so for example, in the United States, you know, green tech, clean tech, you know, in energy is a big deal. Uh, so the energy industry has certainly gotten a lot better. You know, we, as you know, we've got Tesla and, uh, you know, we got lots of organizations trying to take uh, fossil fuels, you know, out of the equation. Uh, wind power has become really big here, uh, especially where I live. You know, uh, I, I live in Oklahoma and Oklahoma and Texas are the top two states in the United States with using wind power. And I saw a chart the other day that said, that Oklahoma is getting around 20% of all of its electricity from wind power now. And Texas is a little bit higher than us. And when you drive around Oklahoma and Texas, you see these huge wind farms. And I can't tell you how happy I am. You know, some people see them and they go, they're ugly. You know, I see them and I think about the coal plant, right? Which is where our, our electricity has come from in Oklahoma for years is a coal plant. You know, I see the wind farms and, you know, it gives me, it gives me hope. But again, the question for you is, if it were a race, right, the, the percentage of degradation versus what technology can do to improve it. And you could even, you know, tell me, you know, in your world of just quality of water, for example, or farming and what's happening with farming and, you know, and chemicals and fertilizer, right, which one is winning, in your opinion? Um, so I, I think in terms of which one is winning i have to say unfortunately i think environmental degradation has been around a lot longer um it's older so humans have been having an adverse impact on the planet for long for a longer time i would suggest than digital technology has been around um been around or been around to help whichever way you look at it so i think today environmental degradation is winning we've passed some trigger points already um Certainly what we see in the UK um, in terms of weather event, events, storms, flooding, droughts, um, we've not had, it's unprecedented. We've not had anything like this before. We've hit some of those triggers. And as you say, from a water quality is slightly different. I think that is on an upward trajectory. Um, I think there's been a lot of effort a lot of effort on the part of companies, a lot of effort on the part of governments and legislation to improve water quality. Um, and that is certainly getting a lot better. There's been standards recently from an agricultural perspective around what we put on the land and the impact that has on our environment. That is certainly um, going so far as to make good and significant improvements in some part. Um, I think overall, when you add it up, environmental degradation is possibly winning, but I don't believe it's the end of the race. So I guess in the spirit of this being some a digital optimist podcast, um, I don't think environmental degradation will win. It might be winning today, but I think we're on the cusp of something that is going to change. Um, I think when you look at 
sea rise, temperature rise, the weather events, water resources, habitat loss, all of those challenges that we've got from an environmental perspective and the impact that's having on individuals, on communities. That's still very real and we're still feeling that. And I'm not sure we've got every single answer to fix that. Um, but I think the effort is in the right place. I think we're using technology in the right place or increasingly in the right place. So I think at some point we're going to see a flip. Environmental degradation, and you just, you're a data man, you, you, you like um, charts and graphs and infographics. And I think environmental degradation is probably quite linear. I think technology is exponential. So at some point it will, it will overtake it. It will overtake it. And you talk about, um, I guess, the energy space in, in the US, and we have something similar in the UK. So over the last 10 years, we've gone from, I think, 80, about eight, 10 years ago, about 80% of the energy we produced was fossil fuels. Today, that's under 40%. More of our, more of our energy is produced through renewables than it that's is through awesome. fossil fuels. And that's in 10 years. That's pretty yeah, quick. It, it doesn't, it's, doesn't that give you hope? Right. I mean, for, for people who just think this is there's no way that, you know, eight billion people can reverse the damage. You know, sometimes you do see, you know, how the way technology is being applied. And like you said, just in the last 10 years, uh, you see some of the analytics on our improvement. I, I mean, for me, it just gives me hope. Absolutely. Um, I think when you see the speed of, of, of what we're doing in the renewable space, um, that gives you hope. Um, I think what, what has been really good in that sphere has been the technology, um, you know, from an innovation perspective kicked off, but we got behind it quite quickly. Um, legislation got behind it, the government policies and strategies got behind it, the incentives were there, the seed funding was there, the appetite was there, and all the, the, the things you would need aligned and connected to, to exploit it we're all in, the ducks were in a row. But I, even with that, I still think it's gone faster than anybody thought it would do. Um, the tech has got cheaper and it continues to get cheaper. Um, and it continue, you know, it's it, the benefit of that environmental technology um, or the, the uh, energy technology that has helped the environment. The benefit that had, it was also an economic argument. It was actually cheaper to produce. And I think where you can take an environmental driver and you can smash that together with a really robust economic um, argument, if the two things work hand in glove, then you're onto a winner. And that's where tech absolutely goes to another level. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. All right, let, let's talk about the technology for just a second. And, and what I want to do is paint a picture for you. And I just want you to, to respond to this picture. Uh, so when I think about what does it look like in the future, which is, you know, that's what I get paid to do is to be able to accurately predict where things are going to go. When I apply that vision to, uh, you know, what, how we can use technology with the environment, what I see is we have a combination of sensors. So many different kinds of sensors, right? And the sensors are getting cheaper, as you said, and they're getting better. We can sense air quality. We can sense all kinds of things in the air, all kinds of things in the water. Uh, you know, we can put drones up. I, I mean, we, we have so many tools now that will harvest data. So we have sensors. Let's just say sensors, okay? Uh, we can mix sensors now to create a massive amount of data, which you mentioned. Data that we've never been able to see before, massive amounts of data in real time. 
uh, real time, right? Not forensic, you know, not, oh, the, uh, the water quality got bad yesterday. No, something just happened right now. So, so with a bunch of sensors out in, in the world, uh, then you have massive amounts of real-time data. And then the last piece of that is AIs. So no human being can monitor all of that. Uh, you know, we can't. It's too much data. Uh, and so you put AIs on top of it. Now you have, you know, what I will call the environmental mesh. Okay. You have a mesh of sensors the data the sensors provide, and then AI sitting on top of it to help you be able to analyze it or see when you needed to take action, right? Or uh, be able to be alerted to something. And so that's where I believe we're headed is building an environmental mesh. I believe you've already built, you know, the, the let's just say 1.0 version of this probably at United Utilities, right? Uh, but I'd love for you to comment on that vision. Do, do you also see uh, that, that that is how technology is going to be able to come together to really make a difference? Um, yes, I do. Um, and as you, as you say, and as you know, we're, we're already well on that, that journey here. Um, so we've got, um, I, I, are we version 1.0? I think we might be a bit further on than that. We, we, we're deploying sensors at a rate of knots. They're getting cheaper. They're getting easier um, to, to, to deliver. Um, the insight we're getting back from that is is huge. And I think what it's allowing us to do is make connections we've never perhaps made before. So when we're in productions lines of water production and we're looking at water quality, we can start to understand at, ge at really big geographical catchment scales what's actually happening upstream and downstream. And sometimes it's not what you think. And the AI is proving a lot of hypotheses very quickly. And what it's allowing us to do is simulate in a production planning context what, what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, you only have to take, you know, you're aware and I watch it tells me if I've done enough exercise. I don't need to wait weeks to have put on weight to go, oops, maybe I should have done some more exercise. It tells me right here and now. And we've got that exact same data from our um, from our asset base to tell us how it's performing and what not just how it's performing in terms of is it off, is it on, is it working a little harder than usual, but if it's off and it's on and it's working, what impact is it having and how effective is it being? And then in different situations and different scenarios, we can then start to run it and say, well, what if we work it a bit harder? What if another 500 houses are built? What if it rains a bit more? What if it's completely dry and there isn't any water? We can then start to say what what implication is there on the environment as a result of either intervening on our assets or not inter intervening at all. Um, and, and we know that now that the decisions we're making today are far more intelligent. They're based on much more real-time data, much more insight. They're much smarter than they ever were. Um, and I think um, I might just pick up and, and tell you how some of this, we're talking high tech, we're talking AI. But it, there are opportunities to marry that with some quite low-tech stuff. And I think it's recognizing where high-tech and low-tech can work hand in hand. So we have um, we have sniffer dogs. Give us an example of low-tech. So, yeah. so, so, low so when we're looking for leaks in our system, 
Um, we've, we, we're uh, one of the biggest landowners from, in terms of water companies. We own 56,000 hectares of land across the northwest, and a lot of that is very inhabitable. Um, it's very hard to get to. It's mountainous. It's, um, it's really tricky. Um, and we can use the high tech. We can use satellites. We can use drones. But the limitations of that, there's nothing like really seeing at a very granular level what's going on. So we're now using sniffer dogs to sniff out because um, they, they, they learn, they can smell the chlorine in the water, they can smell the treated water, they know exactly what that smells like. And we can send sniffer dogs into places that humans just cannot reach. It's health, it's safer, um, and it allows to pinpoint at a much more granular scale. And we're marrying the satellites with the dogs to really pinpoint where might that leak be before we send lots of people out really inefficiently, unsafely, we're able to pinpoint where that leak might be using dogs and satellites. Okay, I'm a dog guy. So uh, <laughs> you're, you are speaking my language. You, you know, when people talk about technology replacing human beings and, you know, what are the human beings going to do? Uh, you know, a, a world where there are, uh, there's very high tech and there's dogs, like that is, that's my kind of world. Now, the only thing I worry about is if, if my two dogs had to have the job of sniffing out water, uh, we would be in trouble. But uh, you evidently have smarter dogs over across the pond than what we have here. <laughs> they are pretty clever. They, they put a few of us to shame, I can tell you. Yeah, my dogs could yeah. sniff out chicken. Right. If you said you needed to find chicken or turkey, my dogs could sniff that out. That'd be about it. Okay, I've I've yet to be presented with that problem, but that's um, good to know. I'll make a note. Yeah. If you ever need to sniff out chicken, let me know. All right. So, of of all the technologies we've talked about, uh, I I want to share. There are three that I'm probably most excited about, and I'll tell you what they are and why. And then I would love to hear, you know, if you agree, well, you not even agree, but what, what do you think are the technologies that when you look forward, you're most excited about? So for me, the three are data visualization, right? Because having this massive amount of data isn't helpful unless we can visualize it in a way where it has meaning. And because I really think people need to change behavior. You know, one of the things I'd love to do is use data visualization to show a dashboard to everybody in my neighborhood about what their impact is. Because I feel like if they could see on a dashboard what their impact is on the environment, they'd actually probably change. And, and a lot of the reason that people don't change is they can say they don't know, right? They just say they don't know. So I love the idea that in the future, data visualization is gonna allow us to, to show people, look, this is your impact for real, right? On the environment and you can't escape it. And so I love that uh, as something that is coming with all this data that we can pull. The second thing is all the technologies that directly lower pollutants. So, you know, we're, we're using technology to not only monitor, but, but as you said, to, to directly lower, like the wind technology, right, that I mentioned. But, you know, we're using a lot of technologies that pull pollutants out of air or pollutants out of water or whatever. And so, you know, we have those, I'm excited about those expanding. And then the last thing is AIs. You know, just the fact that when you build powerful artificial intelligences, they're gonna allow us to see alerts that we never have seen before. So they're going to be able to monitor the mesh, the environmental mesh, and they're going to be able to send off bells and alarms when anybody does anything that is, you know, above a certain threshold. 
right? Let's say to de degrade the uh, environment. And I think the accountability that the AIs could provide to us uh, will be amazing. So there you go. You know, I put on my future glasses. Those are three things I'm excited about uh, out of all the technology we talked about. What about you? What are you excited about over the next decade? Um, so I'll, I think I'll start with, um, you talked about um, technologies that directly lower pollutants. Um, we're developing quite a lot of those and that's that's definitely something that is exciting today. It's been exciting for quite a few years, to be fair. I think what excites me about that is where it might go next. So it's not necessarily just um, about um, lowering pollutants, but it's about how does it deal with everything that's going on. So if you take the water cycle, we've got technology now that's very low carbon, very low footprint, um, and it's absolutely lowering pollutants um, in, in the water course. Um, the technologies we're developing now go one step further because they're actually starting to say, what are the nutrients in that water course and what of those nutrients might actually be useful if we repurpose them? So if you take phosphorus, we need phosphorus from an agricultural perspective. We need that from a, um, a you know, to produce food. But actually at the moment, it's so locked up, you flush a toilet, goes into the sewer, ends up in a water course, it's locked in, we can't extrapolate it. Where we've got innovations that actually can start to take nutrients out at the right place in that cycle and make those nutrients available so we can repurpose them. We're getting to really, really sophisticated levels of recycling. And it's that, that, that can't... Yeah, let me interrupt you just a second. Are, you're referring to the circular economy, I think, right? Absolutely. Well, what is the circular economy? I, I just want to, I mean, continue. I, I hate to interrupt you, but that term is so important to me, the concept of the circular economy around the environment. So anyway, continue on. And if you want to add in anything about the circular economy, I just think that's really important for people to understand. Yeah, so I was absolutely and, and well picked up talking about circular economy. Um, and that, yeah, so I, I think it, play, it plays out quite well in nutrients, but it plays out in everything we do from um, energy, chemicals, storage, you name it, it's all there. And I think when we start to use technology to really understand the material flow and what's happening across um, the business, you can really start to commercialize. It's a commercial argument. Um, it's a commercial argument with environmental benefit because um, it will hit your bottom line. We're dosing chemicals at one end of a process and then we're trying to take those chemicals out at the other end of the process. If you can optimize that, you're buying less chemicals. If you're buying less chemicals, you're making less chemicals, you're putting less chemicals into the environment. It's just, it, it works hand in glove. It's, it's where you can commercialize environmentalism yeah, I, you know, I love just aluminum, you know, the fact that you can recycle aluminum over and over and over again with very little degradation. It's a little harder with glass, right? But but with aluminum, it, 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 you have a circular economy that you could just keep going, going, going as long as people recycle the aluminum and don't throw it in the trash. You know, so I, I love the potential of people understanding the circular economy and wanting to play in it. Because that, that's the key is, I think we can apply technology to create a circular economy. At the end of the day, the human beings are still going to have to care enough to do their part. Yeah, I, whilst the humans do have to care to do their part, but I think they, they care quite well if you can show them a bottom line number that also has an environmental benefit. Um, 
then they, they really do care. Um, I think that's probably generationally today. Um, I think where we are at the moment, but the, the, the finance, um, and we're moving into a different space. I have to tell you, we've got a lot of people um, here who are changing the way they think about capital. Um, and we've certainly got a lot of initiatives going on that are way beyond financial capital. We've been doing natural capital for a number of years and, and that's getting even um, more prevalent across um, certainly the industry and definitely across the Northwest. Um, we're moving into social capital, intellectual capital, and when we start to think about it in a different way, you can, you need technology because you need the data, you need the sensors out there, you need that, and that visualization. So I, I agree, I think this bringing it onto another one, unless you can visualize something, it's really, really hard conceptually to understand it, let alone understand it sufficiently to change behavior. Um, so yeah, I agree with the visualization one. I think that's um, not only does it at a corporate level help with that common language as I've spoke about, but it helps at a very micro level with individuals. Um, and I think, and I'm playing in the generational space again, um, I think we've got a real shift at the moment where there's lots of people want to do the right thing. At the moment, they think it will cost them more to do the right thing. And I think the more data, the more rich data we can give them and the more insight we can give them that actually connects it through will mean they will ultimately be able to change their behaviour in a way that's um, appropriate to them. Well, it's interesting because my last question for you uh, is, uh, will the younger generation care more and be willing to sacrifice a little bit more to reverse the damage that has been done, right, by prior uh, generations, I, and I appreciate what you know. What you're saying is, it's great if it's not felt as a sacrifice, right? Uh, yeah. I hear that, but I, I wanted to just, you know, again, end up on maybe an optimistic thought. Again, I'll share mine and and tell me if you agree or don't agree. It's okay not to agree. Uh, I have such hope for the younger generation. And, and by the way, you're younger than me. You know, I, you, you, are, you are a generation down from me, you know, at least. And I have such hope when I see um, how the younger generate, uh, generation operates because, you know, they do care about social mission, not just financial mission. And, you know, honestly, my generation and maybe a couple above mine, you know, they were surviving and it was a lot about a financial mission. Uh, and uh, I, I'm so heartened uh, by the fact that the younger generations care more, care more and more about a social mission. And I also think the younger generations care more and more uh, about impact on the environment. Uh, and I love, for instance, in the Scandinavian countries, you know, they, they teach about the, about the legacy and the role that young people play on impacting the people around them. That's something that's taught in the schools you know, in, in Scandinavia is what is the legacy that you will leave and what is the impact that you will have on the people around you, even, at, you know, a few generations after you. You know, I, I hope that we start, we teach that more now in the United States uh, and don't just teach entrepreneurism and how much can we get and how much can we build, because that's what we've been great at. But we also, you know, teach that social mission. And like I said, I, I'm so heartened because I think the young generation is, 
more willing to accept the fact that uh, we have been damaging the environment and that that's not necessary and it needs to stop, even if that means that the young generation needs to sacrifice something to get there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I, I, it's very rare I disagree. I will one day find something I violently disagree with you on, but for today we're all in agreement, so that, that's wonderful. Um, I, I think the younger generations do care. Um, I think we're in, if I take where we are right now, um, I think there's a, there's a definite um, correlation between care, what you do about that, do you actually change your behaviour, and wealth. And I, I think at the moment the, the things are not, the, the things are certainly not, um, that they're not decoupled from each other. So they're, they're, I think you've, a lot of the research we've done um, and a lot of the research and studies that are out there suggest that the current generations, and, and I like that you think I'm young, um, I'll, I'll absolutely take that. I'm perhaps not the youngest of generations, but I'll, I'll take the young. Um, hey, you're young you're think, younger than my, you're younger than me. Um, and I'll, well, that, that's fact. So we'll, um, yeah, we'll go with that. So yeah, so I think you take some generations, or there's kind of, I suppose, a generation at the moment who, when they were a little bit younger, really cared. But then all of a sudden they have bills to pay and a family or the jobs and all of that life happened and maybe their aspirations for how impactful they were going to be and how you know determined they were to not do that starts to fall away a bit. I have optimism though that the generations coming behind them, the generations that have just been born, the generations that are not born yet, I think technology, I think um, you know what we're seeing through social media um, and what we're seeing, you know, knowledge is power and, you know, they're so smart. They're way smarter than I was. They're way smart, smarter than I am now. And the smarter they get, the more they're going to demand that things are different. So whilst I think we're in a transition where it's quite difficult at the moment, I think that correlation between caring, behaviour change and wealth is still quite connected and we haven't quite fixed it. Um, and it is quite often those that, that have money, that care, that can do more. Um, but I think the generations coming behind us will, will absolutely um, do something very, very different. So, yes, I definitely share your optimism. And right. I, they'll challenge us as the old, as the old buggers. They're going to challenge us to do something different. They're not going to want to be left with the legacy we may well lead. Um, and I think when we think about our legacy, we have to think about that intergenerational um, inequality that we have at the moment. Um, and I guess, you know, what's the next fossil fuel? Because there is probably one we're going to stumble on. And we need to make sure that we don't leave that fossil fuel legacy for them to fix. So if it's precious metals or if it's storage or whatever it is, we need to be grabbing hold of that now and making sure we're doing it in a sustainable way so that they're not left with this as a problem because they've got to fix the problems we've got now. But I think they'll be well equipped to do it. Yeah, well, I, the combination of uh, new technologies and the environmental mesh that we've described with the more will to be environmentally friendly of the generations, I mean, that's the reason to be optimistic. But, but with all the optimism, I will say, 
you know, hey, you listening to this, you, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to do something different, right? You've got to not let the water run while you're brushing your teeth. You know, you've got to not let your car run for 20 minutes in a parking lot so that you can be comfortable, right? You've got to personally make some kind of difference uh, and not just think that it's everybody else so that on our bell curve, you're not that big fat part in the middle of people who you wish the environment was better. You just don't do anything about it. So, yeah, I think, you know, Lucy and I are both optimistic, but all of us, we are going to leave a legacy. We are leaving examples for everybody else. Let's try to leave a better example and let's personally make sure that uh, our little piece of what we're doing with the environment uh, is more of a circular economy or a light touch on the environment than what people are leaving today. All right, Lucy, uh, just for fun, I'm going to give you something to violently disagree with me on uh, because it's important that we violently disagree. Uh, and it's important that you say what you're going to say next when you violently disagree with me. Here we go. <laughs> Brilliant. I believe that all water should be drank out of a bottle that is purchased at a convenience store because only water in a bottle purchased at a convenience store is healthy. All other water that comes out of a faucet is got to be dirty because those pipes have been sitting there for years in the ground. And so, you know, I really believe we should only drink water out of a bottle. Don't you agree, Lucy? Um, I violently disagree there, and that is absolutely not, because you told me I should. Of course I violently disagree. Um, no, not at all. We could, uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. No, um, the water you drink out of your faucet is absolutely the most efficient and most beautiful and best tasting it really should be. And I, I speak from uh, the northwest of England. Um, so if you're ever over here, it's pretty tasty. It's pretty good for you. Um, you definitely don't need a bottle. Yep, I was there. It is excellent. I can verify that. United Utilities just absolutely kills it on the quality of the water. Uh, and all kidding aside, uh, again, when I say you, like you need to make a difference. Uh, if you're a buy a bunch of plastic bottles for water drinker, hey, you might think about that, right? Because an aluminum bottle and getting tap water um, is, is a good way to go. Uh, the water isn't any less healthy, uh, and you're not going to be throwing the plastic onto the world. All right, so there you go. There's my stump speech. Uh, Lucy, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, I really hope that, that people take this to heart and make a difference because it's not just about what we do. As you said, it's about the legacy that our kids see, our grandkids see. And so, the you know, my mother, let's go back. We'll, we'll finish with that story of my mom. You know, my 82-year-old my mother who walks up and down the streets picking up trash, who she doesn't need to pick up trash. Uh, my mother could afford to pay somebody else to pick up trash, but she picks it up herself. Right? And she does that so that I would learn to make sure that I picked up trash, so that I would teach my kids right, to be that type person, to pick it up and don't be the one that throws it out or ignores it. And so my mom will impact a generation of people who will look at the environment different, and that could be you. And so I hope, you know, you listening right now, you take that to heart and think about the fact it's not just what you do and your impact. It's the example you set for everybody else around you. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be moving on to machine intelligence, uh, the machine intelligence series, uh, one I've been looking forward to for months. Uh, I think uh, I've already recorded the first one. 
And so uh, we will be doing a series on different aspects of machine intelligence and how they're going to impact the world. Uh, so look forward to visiting with you next time. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklasowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklosowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents, and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.